injustices, probably racial injustices, oppression and corruption, systems. And the whole story is told by Jesus to people completely wrapped up and embedded in these very systems. I think we can say with confidence that if you polled, surveyed a hundred different pastors coming back off of sabbatical, this particular gospel reading would not be on the list that they were hoping rolled around uh, for their, their first sermon back. Ah, but we go with the pitch around here, take what we're given, and uh, I believe there is uh, some fertile soil for us here to uh, consider together. Summoning his master's debts one by one, Jesus says in this strange little story, he asked the first, how much do you owe my master? He answered, hundred jugs of olive oil is what I owe. And he said to him, take your bill, sit down, make it 50, and to the next, make it 80 and uh, so forth. And the master commended this dishonest steward because he acted so shrewdly. It's, it's really an interesting story. Uh, this one is often referred to uh, as the most troubling and confusing and contradictory of the parables of Jesus. And we have a tendency to try to boil things down, uh, uh, circumscribe them a bit by naming them. Uh, but maybe sometimes when we name things, we close off a whole world of other possibilities. So, for instance, we call it the parable of the prodigal son, right? Uh, when maybe the story is more about an outrageously generous parent who ignores customs and cultural norms and even religion in order uh, to forgive and redeem and reclaim uh, a returning child. The one we have before us today is most often called the parable of the dishonest manager. But maybe there's more about this manager and more about this odd story that we might want to consider than simply his dishonesty. It's an odd story, so let's just kind of walk in there, enter it, and look around for a while. There was a rich man who had a manager, Jesus tells the people listening to him, and all of them knew right away what he was talking about. An absentee landlord, the kind uh, that were very common in first century Palestine. Uh, they represented the ruling elite of wealthy landowners, people who lived mainly in the cities and owned great tracts of land on the outskirts, uh, and therefore controlled the lives of all the people who lived on that property and worked those lands. The fact that they uh, the landowners did not live on the land, meant that they needed local managers to make contracts with people to oversee things, uh, merchants and peasants and day laborers and so forth, so that they could leverage as much profit from the property as possible. The manager then, or steward as sometimes called in the story, belonged to a class of people known as retainers, who executed the will of the landowner. He managed the estate for his boss, and his job was to realize largest possible profits, however it was he went about that, uh, with his endless wheeling and dealing. Such managers did 
this in part by lending and bartering and charging exorbitant rates uh, as they did so, much like the predatory lending businesses of today. Uh, and at the same time, they, they would take you know, a little bit for themselves, which was uh, understood as part of the system, but didn't bother the landowners as long as they were getting the profits they expected. So this is how they made their living. And how, however we feel about it, the owners never objected as long as uh, they got what they thought they had coming. So the manager in this story occupies a very powerful but also a precarious position in the culture. On the one hand, his job is secure as long as he's funneling up profits to the master. On the other hand, he was constantly susceptible to the, to the revolts of the exploited and abused laborers because they never profited from anything in this system. They were lucky to barely subside. So the profits always went to the rich, in this case, the absentee uh, landowners. And this was the system, and nothing ever changed. Such laborers knew it was of no use to grumble to the landowner if they had some way to get to that person, that the manager was being too strict and abusive and mean. All, that, all the landowner might do if he heard that accusation is give his manager a raise. It simply meant he was going to leverage even more profits out of the property. No, if they wanted to get at uh, a ruthless manager and ha maybe have that person removed, they had to think of a different charge to bring. And so this is where the story really starts to get interesting that Jesus is telling. And charges were brought that this manager was squandering the property of the landowner. Huh. Now we're talking about criminal charges, not just personnel infractions or, you know, shady math. Not charges that would bring a scolding from the landowner, but charges that would put the manager out on the street. And we have no idea whether these accusations are true. Jesus doesn't even say. But it's not hard for us to imagine what it would have been like to have to manage in that kind of system. Now, always being caught in the crossfire between the often greedy and exploitive landowners and the tenants or workers' endless legitimate complaints, complaints about being exploited on the other. So the manager existed in between these two forces. The landowner will always keep a suspicious eye on the manager, and the workers will always fear and resent the manager's power over them. So Jesus is presenting a scenario that would have been very familiar to those listening to him. They're nodding. We get it. Yep, yep, sounds about right. A distrustful, greedy, wealthy landowner has heard anonymous rumors that his manager has been wasteful. The landowner decided to act on these accusations and rumors he was hearing, and the manager's job was on the line. He knew that it would be absolutely futile to go to the landowner and protest his innocence. I mean, have you ever tried to contradict a rumor? Taking too large of a cut for yourself, guilty of 
failing to achieve this month's quota. No, the manager doesn't even bother to defend himself. He's smarter than that. We should note that we're talking about power structures and privilege here. Systemic economic injustices, probably racial injustices, oppression and corruption, systems. And the whole story is told by Jesus to people completely wrapped up and embedded in these very systems. Jesus is telling this story on his way to the cross where he will take all of the treachery and corruption and oppression and greed and need and scarcity and poverty and power. He will take all of it there to that cross and he will die with it. He will let us kill him with it. You do not Mess with the system to give us back something new, something better and more lasting, to erase the titles and social strata and racial assumptions and toxic nationalistic ideologies so that across all of these barriers and borders we can see each other as siblings. We can know each other as children of God. When I was a small boy, maybe five or six years old, I was out and about with my dad one day. I can remember it well. I had been in a bit of trouble that morning for one thing or another, which was not at all uncommon. can't remember what it was I had done, but I was not feeling too good about myself or having a very good day. Uh, so as we were out and about running errands, we stopped into a gas station that I remember was up the highway from the motel that my grandma and grandpa ran and owned and operated in St. Paul. This gas station was just off the highway and big trucks would pull in there to fuel up. And I was standing next to my dad at the counter paying for our gas and whatever else he got, and Dad was chatting with the guy there. Dad always had to chat with people no matter where we were, and everybody everywhere seemed to know him uh, for some reason. Anyway, to kind of turn the afternoon around, Dad uh, agreed to let me get a Snickers bar from the little shelf there in front of the cash register. So I was wearing a hooded sweatshirt, little sweatshirt, and the guy who had been talking to my dad reached out when I grabbed the Snickers bar. He reached out and grabbed the whole box off the display and put it in the hood of my sweatshirt. And I, I just looked at dad and dad just shrugged. And uh, that's how I walked out of there. And we got out to the pumps, a trucker had pulled an 18-wheeler, he was fueling up his rig, and of course, he knew Dad, and they started talking, and the next thing I knew, I was sitting up in the seat of that big rig with my hands on the steering wheel and pulling the chain of the 
of the super loud horn. I was just fascinated by those trucks when I was a, when I was a boy. You know, what a turnaround that day had made. Now, the manager knows he belongs to an oppressive system upon which his security, indeed his very life, depends. He's not a wealthy man like the landowner, and he would never be accepted by ordinary working folk that he's been bossing around and abusing his whole working career. So it's all on the line for him, and he starts calling the the laborers in and those who are indebted. How much do you owe? A hundred? Take your bill, make it fifty. How much do you owe? Take your bill, make it eighty. And the master commends this dishonest manager because he acted shrewdly. He's a shrewd guy. And, And the moral of the story, I don't have the foggiest idea. I mean, you can do, you can spend a lot of time reading uh, biblical scholars trying to excavate what Jesus might have been getting at here. Luther warned us 500 years ago, many uh, people uh, think that they have God and everything they need when they have money and property. In these they trust and in these they boast so stubbornly and securely that they care for no one, Luther wrote. Surely such a person also has a God, mammon by name, on which they fix their whole heart. It is the most common idol on earth. The great Swiss theologian Karl Barth once said of this parable that out of this sad story of wrongdoing came something that looks almost like a little piece of the kingdom of heaven. Born into a broken system, stacked against the poor. We, sitting here this morning in our homes this morning, we are called to work for justice and mercy for all. At the same time, God showers these very things on us. Like a misbehaving kid out with his dad, who found his whole day turned around. The dark cloud of my own misbehavior that morning swallowed and replaced with something far better. And I had nothing to do with it that day. I was just along for the ride. I surely did not deserve it. But I was... Wally's boy out there in the world. And that always came with blessings. It still does. And you, and this is the point, you are a child of God. Imagine that. Everywhere you go, standing next to Jesus, Because in the very night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and gave thanks. He broke it and he gave it to his disciples. He he stuck it in the hoods of their sweatshirts. He said, 
Take and eat. This is my body given for you. Don't forget. Do this for the remembrance of me, he said. And he said it to Peter at the table there, who will deny him. He said it to James and John, who lust for power. Let one of us sit at your left and one at your right when you come into your glory. He said it to Judas, who will give him up for 30 pieces of silver. This is my body given for you, he said to all of them. And the rest will run away and hide when he needs them the most. And again, after supper, he took the cup and he gave thanks and he gave it to all of them, to Peter and James and John, to Judas. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. It is shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sin. Don't forget, do this for the remembrance of me. Do this for the remembrance of me, huh? Remember this. I, I remember that day with my dad uh, because my day was turned around. It was redeemed. I, I received the unwarranted, gracious uh, forgiveness and, uh, and the abundance, right? Not only one snicker bar was the sacrament that day, but I left with a whole box of them in the hood of my sweatshirt. Uh, do this for the remembrance of me. Remember who you are out there. It's uh, Jesus who stands with you no matter where you go. You are, in fact, a forgiven, loved, claimed child of God. This can make all the difference out there in the world, not only for you, but for those who encounter you. So we go now in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.